Turn, if you would, to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. We did have a uh, wonderful vacation, if you're not aware. Uh, Saturday a week ago, we drove 960 miles, and last Sunday a week ago, we were at the Grand Canyon. And yes, it is a big hole in the ground. We, we went from the Grand Canyon to Las Vegas, and I told the kids, God made the Grand Canyon, and men made Las Vegas. <laughs> Enough said. Then last Sunday, we were driving home. We had spent the night in Van Horn, Texas, uh, the middle of nowhere. And um, we were driving home, and we stopped at Abuelo's for lunch, unbeknownst to my wife, because it was her birthday. Well, her birthday was the day before. And I told her we were stopping, and my oldest son was waiting there for us. And I said, where's mom's birthday present? And he went and got the birthday present, which was Jonathan. (laughs) It was actually a shock to her. And somewhere on Facebook, you can watch the video of her reaction. Uh, Most of the rest of us knew about it. We had been plotting this for since at least Mother's Day. But it was a surprise to Teresa. So... He came in, and then my daughter from Pennsylvania came in to see him, I think, or us. I'm not sure. So anyway, we've had an exciting time around the Scarborough house. And no, I don't really remember where we stopped. Somewhere in chapter 10, we are working our way through the book of Romans. If you remember Romans 1 to 8, we dealt with justification by faith alone. We finished with Romans chapter 8, one of the most magnificent chapters in the Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends with what can separate us from the love of God. And it goes on to the list, angels, powers, this, that, the other. Nothing can separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 12 begins the application of how we are to live our lives in the context of being justified by faith. But if you notice, there's some chapters between chapter 8 and chapter 12. 9, 10, and 11 deal with what about Israel? Did something go wrong? Did God's plan not work that God abandoned the nation of Israel to go after the Gentiles? And Paul's comment is no, he did not abandon the Jews. And no, not everyone who is of Abraham is of Abraham. And we spent a couple of weeks dealing with the doctrine of election. They got some people worked up. That's in chapter 9. Then we started into chapter 10 where we talked about the fact that the Jews had a zeal for God, but they didn't have the knowledge necessary to which Paul says but they had all kinds of knowledge of course they did they had the prophets they had the law they had the revelation of God yet they still thought it was something they had to do in order to be right with God they refused to acknowledge that salvation is a work of God on us And we got partway into chapter 10. Uh, Let's pick up reading a little, uh, well, let's start reading on verse 5. 
And we'll read a bunch of it that we covered last time, and then we'll start today's lesson in verse 14. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. What he's saying is, we sit here thinking, if I'm going to be right with God, I have to ascend to heaven. I've got to work my way to heaven. And he says, no, you don't. Christ did that for you. Well, if I'm going to do it, I have to descend into the gates of hell itself. No, Christ did that for you. He descended from heaven for you. That part's been done. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Question, who is going to be saved? Those who call on the name of the Lord. Now, it's interesting because people want to have a long discussion about the relationship between this and election that we talked about in chapter 9. According to election in chapter 9, who is it that's going to be saved? Those whom God calls. According to this, who's going to be saved? Those who call on the name of the Lord. Is there a contradiction there? No. There is no contradiction. Why? Because who is going to call on the name of the Lord? This is not a trick question. Those whom God has called. We can sit here until the cows come home or the, whatever the uh, country saying you want to use, we can sit here forever trying to figure out who the elect are. We don't know. What we do know is whoever, or is it whomever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise that we're given. We're not supposed to look for the elect. We're supposed to share the gospel and encourage, admonish people to call on the name of the Lord. But wait a minute. What is necessary for people to call on the name of the Lord? Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We're going to turn today's lesson around and we're going to talk to us for a moment. We're going to talk to the believing community about how we are to Share the gospel with those out there. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
But how are they going to call if they don't believe? How are they to believe if someone doesn't tell them? How is someone going to tell them if nobody is sent to share the gospel? I'm going to work through this sequence backwards, okay? Actually, it's not backwards. The verses are almost backwards because the questions work their way back to who is sent to share the gospel. Now, what does it mean to be sent? It means that someone tells you to go. Someone tells you to go. Someone provides the resources for you to go so that you can go share the gospel with someone who hasn't heard. Okay? It's pretty simple. Over there is someone who hasn't heard the gospel. Somebody has to go share the gospel with them. Who's going to do that? Now, we sometimes want to fall into the idea that those who are sent are those who are paid to be sent. Okay? The pastor is sent to share the gospel because we give him a paycheck. Missionaries are sent to share the gospel because we support them. And that's true. That's all true. But if you remember at the end of Christ's ministry, he tells the people, go into all the world and share the gospel, making disciples out of everyone. Who was that addressed to? The 11? The 500? All believers of all times from the beginning of Christianity until the Lord returns? I think it's the third. It's all of us. Does that mean we don't have missionaries and preachers? Well, we do have missionaries and preachers. Why? It's like this. There's a person over there who hasn't heard the gospel. Now, that person may be in my sphere of influence. I can walk over here and share the gospel with them. I ought to walk over here and share the gospel with them. But there's also people in Timbuktu who need to hear the gospel. And you know what? I, we, collectively may need to appoint someone to go to Timbuktu to share the gospel with those people. So I am sent by God. The missionary is sent by God. And the missionary is sent by the church, which is what? The bride of Christ. You're not off the hook because you're not paid to go tell. You're supposed to go tell. You're supposed to share the gospel at all times. So, I send the missionary to Timbuktu, just out of curiosity, you do know where Timbuktu is, right? <laughs> it's in the middle of Africa. Anyway. But God, Christ, has sent me to someone. How are they going to hear if nobody talks to them? How is anybody going to talk to them if nobody has sent them, you have been sent. 
You have been sent to share the gospel. Working our way backwards through the list. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So I am sent, I am sent to convey the gospel, and I am to preach to them. Wait a minute, I'm not a preacher. Okay, I'm off the hook at that point. I am not a preacher. What does it mean to preach? It means to share the gospel. <laughs> okay. There is a quote that is ascribed to St. Francis of Assisi, although there's some discussion about whether he actually said it or not, which says, preach the gospel at all times, even using words if necessary. Think about that for a moment. You ready for this? You show up in the world and somebody knows you're a believer. You're a Christian. You have the bumper sticker on your car. You happen to mention that you go to church on Sunday. You happen to mention that you read your Bible. You happen to mention something. You are in a situation and people know that you are a Christian. You're preaching. Right then, right there. You're either doing a good job of it or you're doing a really bad job of it. Okay? There have been times in my life I specifically know of two, and I didn't do it, I'll tell you that right off, where I wanted to call the elders of another church and tell them, you need to talk to this person who's a member of your church and tell him to either change his life or not tell people he goes to your church because he is an embarrassment to your church. Question. (laughs) You know the next question, right? We are preaching at all times. We are to share the gospel at all times. We are sent so that we can preach the gospel. Should we have a discussion about what that gospel is? Go back and read Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Just pick a little piece of it if you want to. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, Through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is none who seeks after God. We have all sinned. What is the gospel? Christ saves us. What is the gospel? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they hear without someone preaching? Okay? This is pretty simple, right? You've got a communication chain somebody is transmitting somebody is receiving yes buddy 10b that was la- that was that was three weeks ago do i have to go back and <laughs> the question was back from verse 10 Okay, he's still wrestling with this, and I was hoping nobody would notice and I could just slide right through it. (laughs) If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, the question is, do you have to verbally proclaim the message to be saved? 
And we would say that you proclaim the message to indicate what has happened in your heart. The proclaiming it isn't what saves you. It is the heart action of God working in your life that saves you. The difficult question, the more important question, is if I refuse, I just blatantly refuse to share the gospel, to admit to anyone that I am a believer, am I really a believer? And to me, as I've said repeatedly, that's one of those big red flags that goes off. Warning, warning, am I really a believer? I would think the answer is no. Okay? My Church of Christ friend and I have had heated discussions. Oh, nice discussions. You know, the Church of Christ believes you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Baptism saves you. They acknowledge the fact that it is a work and they acknowledge the fact it has to be done in order to be saved. Because there are verses that say, believe, be baptized, and you will be saved. I contend you ought to be baptized. It is a public confession of what has happened in your heart. And your refusal to be baptized is a red flag, something's wrong. But the baptism does not save you. You were saved or not before you were dunked in that tub of water. That's the difference. So, if we confess with our mouth, the implication is we are not going to confess with our mouth unless there's been some change in our heart. Okay? If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, the public acknowledgement of what God has done in our heart. And there are other passages that will lead you to believe if we don't confess publicly, he will not publicly confess our membership in the family of believers. Did I almost answer that question? I'm off the hook. Back to chapter, where were we? How can they be preached unless they are sent? How can they hear without someone preaching? Okay, it's quite simple. You've got a communication, somebody's talking, somebody's listening. How can they hear the message if it's not being presented to them? Now, we're going to have a discussion in a moment. This is where we're, we're leading with all this. Because I can share the gospel in the best way possible. And they can still say no. They will still say no. Okay? If God's not working in their heart, they're going to say no. Well, then what's the point of sharing the gospel? Because God told you to share the gospel. God has chosen to use you sharing the gospel in order to expand his kingdom. But that doesn't mean that you sharing the gospel saves them. We are obedient to God by sharing the gospel. God does the saving. Okay? Don't ever think that, ooh, I did a really good job, I'm a great person, somebody believed. Or they didn't believe, so I'm a wretched human being. Your job 
is to be faithful to do what God has told you to do, and what God has told you to do is to preach the gospel at all times. The salvation part is up to God, and that's a good thing. In one sense, that's a burden lifted off of our shoulders. You are not going to be held accountable when people aren't saved. You are held accountable did you share the gospel. Remember, even using words if necessary. How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? If I'm going to call on the name of God, if I'm going to call on the name of Christ to be saved, it's because I believe certain things. Question, what do I have to believe in order to be saved? Back up. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What do I have to believe? We actually had this discussion several weeks ago, if you remember. You look at our church doctrinal statement. We have a list of things that we believe. And I believe, rightfully so, okay? Taken from the scripture, here's what we believe. Do you have to believe all of that to be a believer? No. Do you have to believe all that to be a member of this church? No. What do you have to believe to be a member of this church? I'm a sinner. Christ died for my sins. I have repented and turned to him for salvation. I have called on the name of the Lord. And we'll get into a long discussion about dispensations and the order of salvation and church structure and all of that in the future if it, okay, that stuff is important, but it isn't necessary for salvation. What is necessary for salvation? I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. I have violated the word of God. It isn't that I made a mistake. It isn't that I worked a math problem, and instead of saying 2 plus 2 is 4, I said 2 plus 2 is 5. Oops, I'm sorry. No. We took God's holy, righteous will, and we said no. I acknowledge the fact that I have sinned. Why is that necessary? Because if we don't know that we have sinned, we don't know that we need to be saved. One of the problems we have in our society today is that we have lots of people who don't know they need to be saved. I think I've told you, I remember listening to a sermon by a uh, well-known contemporary pastor who has a church in New York City. And he said when he was young, growing up in the South, you could assume everybody was familiar with biblical things. You talk about sin, they at least knew what that was. They may not be a believer, but they at least grew up in a, you know, an atmosphere that that was part of the culture. He said in New York City today, you ask somebody if they know what sin is, they just look at you. The gospel begins with the acknowledgement that we are sinners. Back to chapter 1 of the book of Romans. He has an introduction about the gospel, and then he starts talking about the wrath of God being poured out on all of humanity. Why would you start a discussion of the gospel with a discussion of the wrath of God? Because if people don't know they're sinners, they don't know that they need to be saved, and they will not cry out 
to God in order to be saved. End of story. So I acknowledge the fact that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge the fact I've done something wrong. I may have this vague idea of what it is, but I know that I've done it. I can fall into the depths of despair at that point, or I can turn to God and say, God, save me. And if I turn to God, I turn to God and I think, okay, what do I have to do? And I go find somebody who gives me a list of things to do. Do this list and you'll be saved. I'm off the hook until I start looking at the list. And then I start trimming the list. I start adapting the list to meet my particular needs. Well, God gave you a list. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall not, you shall not, you shall not. And just in case you thought you were doing pretty well, Jesus comes along and says, if you do it in your heart, you've done it. Oh no, we're toast. You can't do it that way. So what happens? You fall back into the depths of despair until Christ comes and says, I'll do it for you. What do you have to believe? I'm a sinner. I can't do it myself. It's been done for me, and I call out to God. Back to the beginning of the chapter. The Jewish community had a zeal for God, but they refused to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. They refused that last step. Why would you refuse that last step? That's the most beautiful piece of the gospel. Why would you refuse it? Because you have to acknowledge that you can't do it. And our human pride says no. We are like Satan in Milton's Paradise Lost. I would rather reign in hell than be a servant in heaven. Our pride says no when the gospel is shared with us. How can people call out to God if they don't believe? How can they believe if the gospel is not, if they have not heard? How can they hear it if it hasn't been preached to them? How can it be preached to them if nobody is sent? Working our way through that, you've been sent. Working our way through that, you need to know the gospel so you can share it with other people. You need to share it with people so that they will call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And he goes on to say, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Have they not all obeyed the gospel? For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what we have heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. God can do anything God wants to do. He really can. We've said this before. If he wants to use a donkey to share the gospel, he'll use a donkey. God has chosen to use you. I could make some joke at this point. Maybe all the donkeys were busy. <laughs> he has chosen to use us to share the gospel. But how beautiful are the feet 
of those who go to spread the gospel message, who bring the good news. That's what you and I are called to do. But there's a problem. Yes. The question was, how do you deal with the individual who says they personally believe in God, but they believe that there's numerous ways of going to heaven? I mean, we live in a society that wants to be, and I use that word want because they're not really, wants to be very tolerant and believe, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere and authentic in your beliefs. Well, at that point, you have to back up and start addressing the fact that all of these beliefs can't be true at the same time. There are contradictions between them. There's discrepancies between them. You've got to choose a path. And at that point, in our modern society, you begin to sound exceptionally intolerant. You know, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. No one comes into the Father except through me. And we, as a modern society, read that verse and get upset because it just sounds very exclusive. Well, I read that verse, and I'm shocked and amazed that he provided one way. One way. So the answer is we have to show them from the Scripture that that's not a valid position. Having said that, it's not going to go well (laughs) in our modern society. We live in a society who does not want to believe Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 are true. We just don't. Okay? We've decided that instead of this downward spiral of sin, we're on an upward spiral of perfection and tolerance. And it's not going to work. I'll get off my soapbox. But I ask you, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. Who are we talking to now? We're talking about the Jewish community. Haven't they heard this? Haven't they heard the message? We talk to Americans today. Taking into account the discussion I had just a while ago, we talk to Americans today, and most, not all, but most have some understanding of the gospel. They've heard it at some point. They grew up in a church. Their parents grew up in a church. They went to church. They didn't like it. They went someplace else. They liked it, but, you know, things just get old, and we don't like it. I mean, whatever reason, they've heard the gospel message. Driving from here to California... There were probably, I'm going to make up a number, 100 billboards in 1,300 miles that gave you the gospel message. They did. You know, Jesus says, I am the way. It's a billboard. There were dozens of them. (laughs) He says, even on Jeopardy, they know about them. Okay. Haven't they heard? The answer is yes, they've heard. Well, if they heard, 
Why didn't it work? Hmm. Indeed they have, for their voices have gone out to all the earth and the worlds to the ends of the world. As I said, chapters 9, 10, 11, addressed to the Jewish community, he quotes a lot of Old Testament stuff, primarily the prophets, primarily Isaiah, but some others thrown in there. But I asked, did Israel not understand? Okay, they heard it, but they didn't understand it. Well, that may be closer to the truth. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous for those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. That's a weird thing for God, Moses, to say. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Hmm. Her observation was that she spoke with a missionary who said that there are more Jews coming to Christ today than since the, during the first century. That's wonderful. That's amazing. Have they heard? Yes. Had they heard before? Yes. But we throw in this strange verse I will make you jealous. Of those who are not a nation, with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. That's weird. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask of me. But of Israel, he said, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That's kind of weird. What is he quoting? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. What is he saying here? Remember, we're dealing with the Jewish community in chapters 9, 10, and 11. In chapter 9, he started with election. Not everybody who is biologically a descendant of Abraham is actually part of the covenant family. In chapter 11, we're going to read it in just a moment, he's going to talk about the fact that he is saving a remnant in the midst of difficult times. But in between, we have this, and it says, I'm sharing the gospel, I've told them the gospel, they aren't hearing, but I will make them jealous of those who are not a nation. Who are, who, who's he talking about here that's not a nation? The Gentile community, okay? There's a Jewish nation, and there is a, well, there's a bunch of Gentile nations. There's no such thing as a Gentile nation. There were nations that were Gentile, but there wasn't a single entity. I am going to take the Jewish community, and I am going to make them jealous. Why would he do that? Because he's going to show the reality of the gospel. Now, I need Esther here to tell me to be careful not to say anything bad about the Jewish community. Okay? Because as was pointed out, there are Jews who are coming to Christ today. But... The Jewish community rejected the Messiah. That's one of those broad statements. 
There were exceptions. There has to be exceptions. Why? Paul is writing this letter. And what is Paul? He's a converted Jew. He says it at the beginning of every chapter, 9, 10, and 11. I wish, I wish that I could give up my life to save the Jewish community. But the Jewish community has rejected the gospel. But has God rejected the Jewish community? No. God is going to go to the Gentile world and he's going to share the gospel with them to make the Jewish community jealous. And that's the word he uses. We don't like that word, but that's the word he uses. He is turning to the Gentile world to demonstrate the reality that salvation is a work of God and God alone. Jewish community, you thought you could do it by fulfilling your list. You were wrong. You can't do it. It's all by grace. And just so that you know that it's all by grace, I'm going to go out to those people who you viewed as unclean, and I am going to save them. This is a really good thing for us who are in that group. But he is saying it's a good thing for the Jewish community if and when it draws them to the gospel. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have found for those who say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. The Jews following after God, covenant relationship with God. The Gentile community, they were seeking everything else. Everything else. Go read about ancient religions, ancient this, beliefs, practices, whatever. That was the Gentile community, seeking after everything else. They weren't seeking after God. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. I, God, am going to share the gospel with the Jewish community. I mean, with the Gentile community. Why? But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I've been sitting here waiting for you to respond, and you didn't. If you remember last year, we worked through the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and a smidgen into Joshua. We ran out of time, but we got a little bit into Joshua. Do you remember what God was saying repeatedly about the Jewish community? You stiff-necked people who go off and do your own thing. Now, let's be very, very obvious at this point. It's not that the Jews are stiff-necked and stubborn and we're angels. It's that the Jews are human beings, and we're human beings, and we're as stiff-necked and stubborn as they are. That's why God has to save people. Why? Because we're stubborn and stiff-necked people. And if God, if we are going to be saved, it's going to be because God works to save us. Through Jesus Christ, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved 
Who are you going to call in the name of the Lord? Those whom God calls. God calls, we call, we're saved. That's the way it works. All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, we have been talking about evangelism, the sharing of the gospel. How are people going to call if they don't believe? How are they going to believe if they don't hear? How are they going to hear if nobody tells them? How is somebody going to tell them if nobody's sent? You've been sent. You're to preach. You're to tell them. Will they respond? Maybe. I've told you before, I teach uh, worldview classes every so often about when one of my children gets to junior and senior in high school, I'll teach a class. And I know what people want when I teach a worldview class. They want that nice, pithy saying that will take the secular humanist and put them in their place. Or will take the person who follows this belief, who does this, that nice, pithy, one-sentence that I can memorize, and boy, I can put them in their place. And that's what a lot of people want when they want to learn how to share their faith. Give me that one paragraph that I memorize and everybody will be flocking to me. There is no such paragraph. There is no such sentence. There is the truth. And we are called to share the truth. But it doesn't mean they're going to respond. We should work at presenting the truth clearly. We should work at presenting the truth concisely. We should work at presenting the truth with love. But doing all of that, they still may be disobedient and contrary people that we're talking to. Does that mean we reject them? No. We love them and we tell them the truth. We love them and we tell them the truth. What do we do the next day? We love them and we tell them the truth. What do we do the next day? You see the pattern. There is an indication somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount about casting pearls before swine. You could reach a point where they are just throwing it back at you in such a way you know it's not doing any good. What do we do then? You love them, and the next day you love them some more. And someday they'll be ready to hear the truth, and you'll be ready with that. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this so that you don't get discouraged. That you don't get discouraged when you share the gospel with that child, that grandchild, that friend, that coworker, and they just look at you and go, how sweet that you believe that, but it doesn't work for me. That's the kind answer. The less kind answer, you arrogant person, why is that you think that that the only way of getting to heaven is through Jesus. And you'll get every response in between. Okay, that's fine. When Paul was preaching this, they were throwing rocks at him. Big rocks. They were chaining him up, putting him in prison, killing his buddies, and eventually they're going to kill him. Did that bother Paul? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Eh, whatever. We are to share the gospel. Even though 
we acknowledge the fact that some will not respond. We should work at sharing the gospel better, even though we know that no matter how good we do, some will not respond. And that's okay. What do we do? We love them, and we share the truth. That's all we're called to do. God's going to save them. We're going to sneak into Romans chapter 11 uh, to get a head start on it. I asked them, has God rejected his people? Has God given up on the Jewish community? There is a branch of theology that believes the church is the replacement for the nation of Israel. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I had a friend who was from Lebanon, a Christian, and he just doesn't understand why we Christians in America give a flip about the nation of Israel. They're done. They had their chance. They messed it up. They're toast. Has God rejected the nation of Israel? By no means. He has not. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. That sentence is full of stuff. We'll skip it. Not everybody that is a descendant of Abraham is really of the covenant family of Abraham. Isaac, yes. Ishmael, no. Jacob, yes. Esau, no. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone alone am left, and they seek my life. You remember the story. Elijah gets up on the mountain, has that little encounter with the um, priest of Baal, you know, you call out to your God, I'll call out to my God. I've got my altar, you've got your altar. If your God zaps your altar, your God is the winner. All day long, the 500 priests of Baal dance around, cut themselves, pray to God. Elijah sits over there and makes fun of them. Maybe you need to shout louder. Maybe he's not hearing. Maybe he's asleep. All day long, nothing happens. Elijah says, guys, go get some pitchers of water. Take my altar, wood, sacrifice, soak it wet. There's not going to be any tricks here. Soak it wet. It is a puddle of water. And he turns to God and he says, now. I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like that. Zot. The altar is consumed in fire. The rocks themselves burn. Because God worked a miracle. God tells the people, I mean, uh, Elijah tells the people, let's take care of these priests of Baal, kill them all. It's a great day, right? And Jezebel says, what did you do to my prophets? What did you do to my priest? Trust me, you're dead. And Elijah takes off into the desert running. 
Great day out into the desert running. Saturday a week ago, I was driving through the desert. There ain't nothing there. <laughs> he ends up and he wants to die. He really does. God, why am I here? There's an interesting psychological phenomena, and this is true. I mean, this is, this is a, a true thing. You have this mountaintop experience, and you come off that mountaintop, and you descend into depression. Why? You wanted everything to change. You wanted the world to respond, and they didn't. And he says, woe is me. Everybody in Israel has rejected you except me. Think there's a little arrogance there? You know? If you remember, what was it, the third Indiana Jones movie when he's the little boy and he rushes out of the cave and he says, everybody's lost but me. <laughs> That's how we feel at times. It's just me. I'm the only one. I'm the only one who still worships you. And what did God say? But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Huh. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Let's just remind ourselves of that sentence right there. It's grace or it's works. It isn't both. Sometimes we get in this mentality, okay, I'll do this list and then God owes me grace. You can't owe someone grace. You owe someone justice. You can't owe someone grace. Grace is God's gift to us graciously. That's the word. He gives it to us. I have saved a remnant. Will all the Jewish community be saved? No. Will all the Gentile community be saved? No. But I have not rejected the Jewish community. I have not turned my back on them. And those whom I foreknew, there's that word again, will be saved. And we will pick it up right here next week. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you have called us. I pray, Lord, that we would be energized to share the gospel at all times. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.